This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. This is the Eye on Education podcast from Friday, April the 21st. Uh, I was in. Uh, because Georgia was away. It was an Eid celebration, so a bit of an Eid special for us, in fact. Uh, Jen, alongside me, as we talked all things education on a Friday in association with Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. And what better time to discuss the timely issue of exam stress? Uh, Why? Yeah, okay, long weekend, but uh, straight after that, you're into the exams. Uh, Exams across all different curriculums. But one common theme for that is, of course, exam stress. And that's why we wanted to address this one head on with a variety of experts. We were joined by Dr. Uh, Kieran Hillier from the Harriet Watt University, Dubai, to give us A psychologist's take and point of view. Advice uh, to students, advice to parents, but also advice uh, to teachers and educational organisations. Talking of educational organisations, Horizon International Principal Darren Gale was also kind enough to join us as well uh, to talk about some of the things that they've put in place within their school and proffer advice to students and parents alike. Uh, That wasn't all, though. There was also a big old focus on all things COP28 as well uh, as a number of new initiatives to target students ahead of COP28 have been put into place in the course of the last few days. We looked at detail of those and asked the question about uh, how students uh, will be dealing with COP28 and how they will be involved with COP28. big question of our Eye on Education podcast was... How do we, as a whole, handle exam stress? This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yeah, I know. Listen, I appreciate that it is the Eid break at the moment. Uh, Many of you will be revelling in the fact that uh, you don't have to think about school for the next three days at least. Uh, But... Um, Well, given the fact that there is so much focus on all things education at the moment, um, it would be remiss of us not to continue uh, our focus on all things education. As you heard before news there, it's our weekly Eye on Education programme in partnership with the Royal Grammar School, School, Guildford, Dubai. As ever, we're kicking off proceedings with all the week's education headlines. But to that end, if you've got a topic that you'd like to discuss, uh, if you've got questions with regards to to all things education, do get them into us now. Text us 4001, WhatsApp on 04871 We'll have your say online at Dubai I 1038FM, hashtag Dubai I 1038. Let's uh, start with a big question, Jen, um, that's been on every parent's mind this week. Uh, when are kids officially going back to school? Uh, we have that answer now. Monday. As the Moon Sighting Committee confirmed last night, Eid al-Fitr is now upon us. The crescent moon was sighted last night, heralding the start of the festival. That means the holy month was 29 days this year, and that means Monday will not be a holiday, as had been suggested. We were waiting to hear on that front. We weren't entirely sure. We now know it's definitely not a holiday. Kids will return to school on Monday morning then and to their usual longer hours, with many schools also recommencing their extracurricular timetables to boot. Yes, interesting one, this one. Obviously, this was an announcement that um, 
uh, was, um, well, many people were watching for the announcement, listening out for the announcement yesterday. I think it's fair to say, and I hope I'm not taking anything away from the Eid celebrations, that it wasn't a decision that was roundly celebrated by my three children uh, yesterday <laughs> evening. Yeah, I would say that that um, was probably very similar to the reaction in my house as well. My little guy just couldn't get his head around the fact that that holiday had been sort of mentioned and then snatched away. And it is interesting as well, because if you look at you know the headlines and obviously uh, you have moon sighting committees in each different country and each different emirate to a certain degree here in the UAE as well but the UAE making the call yesterday the crescent moon was sighted and therefore first day of Eid being called today and yet our near neighbours Oman moon sighting committee was out didn't see the crescent moon yesterday and have could therefore called first day for Saturday yes. as well. And there are these varieties as well. And it's interesting to see that um, countries around the world take a different sort of approach and a different reading of the stars. Yeah, it's really interesting. I would love to know more about how exactly it works. Um, that said, I mean, look, one thing we're going to be talking about without a doubt throughout the course of the next hour is school fees, etc. And parents, they work hard to um, put their children through schools here in the region. Um, Schooling can be expensive. It can be uh, something that you need to plan accordingly as well. And Students haven't had it bad, have they, during April this year? It's been, uh, yes. it's been, it's not been the busiest of school months. I, th- I think we're now at the point where our kids have been at school a great deal less than they've been off. Yeah, we've had the Easter, we, the, the Easter, the spring break, call it as you will. That was two weeks that sort of fell pretty much throughout April. Um, the time they have been there, they've been wor- they've been enjoying the Ramadan hours of yes. school as well. So a little less uh, time at school, um, and now a long weekend to boot as well. So yeah, it's not been the worst. It's definitely not been the worst if you're a kid. If you're a working parent, it's been somewhat more interesting, I would say. Um, I mean, my wee guy's been absolutely beside himself, happy as Larry. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've been running about like I'm on fire. So it's, um, yeah, it's going to be quite nice, actually, to sort of see him off on Monday morning, knowing that I'm not getting him back until near 5pm. <laughs> Get things done now. <laughs> That's it. Right. Let's turn our attention to um, the other end of the scale. Universities and representatives from a dozen UA universities uh, have taken uh, the opportunity to launch the University Climate Network. Now, this um, does exactly what it says on the tin, aimed at encouraging young people's participation in COP28 at the end of this year. I suppose this was always going to happen, isn't it? There has to be this integration between the education programmes here in the UAE and COP28. It's a great opportunity for the world to come together to discuss climate change. But what a great opportunity for children here in the region as well. Absolutely. I'm particularly finding this really interesting having been in Scotland when it was caught in Glasgow because in Glasgow there was very little done to involve young people and of course young people are the ones who are going to be most impacted by climate change. So it's really interesting to me to see just how much effort the UAE is going to to involve kids and teenagers right through the sort of educational age spectrum in the event. Now, this new network is going to be chaired by New York University Abu Dhabi and it includes Khalifa University, the Mazdar Institute of Science and Technology and the American University of Sharjah, among others. It's been created to promote inclusion, as you said, at COP28, which of course kicks off at Expo City in November. 
The organisers of the conference are very keen to ensure that the entire next generation of climate activists is giving a voice in proceedings and from primary school right through to university. Now, that comes as His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, President of the UAE, has set out his hopes for COP28, urging participant nations to shift their focus from setting goals to achieving them. His Highness was speaking to world leaders at a virtual climate event hosted by US President Joe Biden yesterday. We'll be bringing you more on that story later in the show. Yeah, do share share your thoughts uh, on that initiative as well. Good to see that the UA universities taking the lead there. And also good to see uh, that more and more UA universities becoming sort of feasible uh, options for students here in the UAE now. Time were that uh, a lot of students would be looking further afield. They'd be looking back to their home nations or opportunities elsewhere. Uh, but we're seeing more and more international brands coming here, but also uh, the uh, locally developed uh, UA universities getting more accolades as well. So um, big focus on all things universities. In fact, let's stay with universities as we can, because moving away geographically over to the United Kingdom, uh, which long has been a destination of choice, not just for Brits, but for students from all over the globe, where Uh, We imagine many UA students will be hoping to head this summer, exams permitting. But it seems there are some concerns about universities there. What are those concerns? Well, the number of student complaints about university courses, specifically in England and Wales, reached a record high in 2022. And that's for a fourth year running. New figures reveal the nation's Office of the Independent Adjudicator received 2,850 complaints from students last year, 3% more than in 2021. Now, given there are around 2.5 million students in university or college in England and Wales, these rises aren't huge in context. But it does suggest that the impact of the COVID pandemic is still being felt on campus, with just under a quarter of complaints last year relating to institutional responses to the global crisis. In fact, it seems much of the rise relates to the end of policies that protected students' grades from COVID disruption, with 38% of all complaints relating to grades appeals. Speaking of grades, of course, we're very much heading into that exam season, as you said, here in the UAE with the next intake of university students looking to their futures with some degree of trepidation. So for much of the show today, we're going to be looking at exam stress. Tom, your kids are at that age. Is anxiety making itself felt yet? Uh, yes, in a word. Mm. Yes, in a word. Yeah, I've got... Um, my eldest is sitting her A-levels as we speak. In fact, just at her first A-level um, earlier on this week, um, which was over a course of three days because it was a coursework. Well, yeah, it's early, right? Early, but she, yeah, she's doing a photography uh, A-level and therefore much of that is coursework driven. Right. But it has to be coursework created under exam conditions. So they take a, take a, it takes a little bit longer. Mm. Um, but yeah, that has caused much anxiety, as has the revision element. And then we've got a double whammy because... My son um, is sitting his GCSEs this year. So we've got one doing their A-levels um, and my dutiful daughter, who we can't basically drag away from the desk. And in fact, we're getting to a point where I think she's probably doing too much revision right. at the moment. Um, and then on the flip side of the coin, we've got my son who's, well, we can't get to a desk at the moment, you know, unless he's playing FIFA or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, two different approaches. Uh, let's see how they all pan out as well. But yeah, it is a stressful time. And I suppose that's 
in keeping with the conversation we've just been having. You know, the fact that um, schools, through no fault of their own, have had reduced hours and have significant time off in recent weeks. It's putting a little bit more pressure on the students to take more ownership yeah. of their revision practices rather than the schools managing that revision practice. Had to do a lot more sort of unsupervised work, haven't they, if they've been preparing in advance, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in fact, I'll tell you, so we've had, a, I've got a mate who's just moved uh, to, or he's in the process of moving to Geneva, um, and he's gone over to, uh, the family and kids went back a couple of weeks ago. He went back to join them on um uh, on Wednesday, but obviously he's still got uh, his villa here, etc. And unbeknownst to me, my daughter uh, had approached said friend and said, "In your absence, it's going to be away for about four or five weeks now. So basically, taking her up through her levels. Do you mind if I take over your villa <laughs> as my base for uh, uh, for revision because I can't get anything done at home? There's too many distractions, etc. So she's taken the owner. She's taken the ownership and. Uh, Yes, she's now proud owner of a three-bedroom villa. Hats off to her. I'm (laughs) impressed. That is quite a move. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. This is the agenda. The agenda with a difference for you today because uh, we are broadcasting over uh, the Eid weekend. Uh, Eid Mubarak to one and all. Uh, do keep your thoughts coming in to us. Yes, we are live down here at 103.8 um, as we bring you up to date with all the latest um, from the world of news. But also a big focus on education this hour in association with our friends uh, at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. And it is well, it's a long weekend, yes, but how many of the students out there will be taking advantage of that long weekend uh, to cram a bit more revision ahead of what is going to be a hectic couple of weeks in the uh, lead-up to the summer holidays? It's exam season this year, and we turn our attention now to something that goes hand-in-hand hand with exam, exam stress. Uh, we're, of course, getting to that time of year when teenagers across the country have their heads uh, well, certainly, we parents hope, deep in a revision guide. But with all that studying, often comes a great deal of stress and anxiety for kids and for parents trying and not always managing to support them. Uh, to talk me through the minefield that is revision and exam season, we're joined in studio uh, by the renowned psychologist, assistant professor of psychology at Heriot Watt University Dubai campus, Dr. Kieran Hillier, who joins us live. And first and foremost, Kieran, thank you so much indeed for joining us uh, during the the Eid break as well. Thanks for coming in. Not a problem. Thanks for having me in Eid Mubarak. To you, Tom, and to everybody listening. I mean, I was thinking about this subject a little bit earlier on, both, as I've just mentioned there, to Jen and others. From a personal point of view, I'm in that unenviable position where I've got um, two of my kids sitting exams this two. year. Uh, boys doing the GCSEs, eldest daughter's doing her A-levels. So, mm-hmm. And they, they, they approach it from very different angles, as one could imagine. But then I was looking at it over the course of the last couple of days, knowing that you were going to come in and trying to look at the sort of research. And we all love a bit of data. We all love a, a study and a, a research as well. There is no shortage of it out mm. there at the moment um, of investigations into just how... Um, 
just how dangerous or just how problematic exam stress can be for students. Mm-hmm. Is there a direct correlation at the moment? What's your sort of reading? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know any student, whether it's um, primary school, high school, university, who doesn't find the exam period stressful. Um, and certainly if they've then got other vulnerabilities, there's risks that um, mental health uh, difficulties that they already have could deteriorate. It can trigger um, mental health problems. It can result in lack of sleep, which has its own roll-on effects in regards to your physical and mental health. Um, So yeah, it's not fun for either the students or the parents. Does it affect every student uh, or does it affect different students in different ways? I think it affects students in different ways. I mean, I would be surprised for a student to not be stressed uh, because as, as I talk about with my clients and my students as well, you know, you should be stressed and stress is uh, in and of itself a useful emotion. Mm. It'll help keep you focused. It gives you that energy. Um, it drives you and it motivates you to want to work hard. Um, so there should be some stress, but it's about keeping that at manageable levels. Our bodies are very good at dealing with acute stress. What it doesn't cope with very well is when that stress is chronic. Mm. So let's look at it from a student point of view, first and foremost. I'm going to tackle it from both angles. Mm. Well, actually from three different angles, from a student point of view, from a parent point of view, and from a, a school's point of view as well. Um, let's start with the students, if we can. Mm. I mean, what is your advice to students who are about to start sitting their exams? Is there, again, I suppose it's a difficult one. Is there one rule that fits all? There's not really, is there? I guess probably the number one rule would be for them to actually plan their study schedule. Um, So I will, with my clients, uh, with my students, it's getting them to think about how are you going to break that down? Um, Because if they say, oh, I'm going to work really hard because I want to get A's, that's like, okay, that's great. Um, But what does that mean in terms of, especially if you've got a student who's typically been, say, a B, but they want to bring that mark up, What's your actual practical strategy for how you're going to do that? Like, how does that then translate into, do you mean you're going to study for longer each day? And is that feasible? Or do you mean you're going to study smarter in terms of how you engage in the material? I know for me personally, I need to be very interactive. So I'm writing and I'm linking things and I'm drawing and I'm all of that. Other students, it'll be if they can hear it. Or uh, then that's a better way for them to take it in. Others, it's if they read it. Others, it's if they're um, in a group and they're talking about it with other students. Um, are you practicing with uh, actual exam questions? So if your teacher hasn't given you um, practice exam questions, please do ask for those. Um, and then try to recreate that exam situation as much as you can. So if it's going to be two hours, then ask your parents leave me alone for the next two hours um, and I'm going to try and get through this as much as possible because if your body gets used to the conditions, then once you're in that actual space, it's less stressful because it's already been in that situation before. Um, And it's the same with if you practice with the actual exam questions. Um, And if you can't get practice ones from your teacher, you know, see if you can find them online, Um, talk to older peers, you know, if you've got a sibling who's um, sat that course before, what the types of questions were and try to make some up yourself. Because again, if you are used to practicing in the working with the questions that you're going to be asked, answering them in the way that your teacher wants, then the more practice you get, then the less stress inducing the actual exam is going to be. We know you can do too little revision. Mm. Can you do too much? 
I mean, it comes down to what uh, what the research very strongly indicates is your brain needs time to consolidate the information that you're learning. Mm. So when students tell me I my parent has told me I need to study for eight hours a day, I go, <laughs> that's not um, that's too much information for your brain to actually be consuming. So in terms of giving yourself regular breaks and sleeping properly. I think that's the thing that a lot of students will sacrifice in their efforts to try to cram. Um, if your brain is not getting that rest, sleep is when it's consolidating all that information that you're learning. And teenagers need like 8 to 10, 11 hours of sleep. Um, so I, I really encourage my students and my clients, please do not sacrifice your sleep. It might feel like, oh, this will be good. But if you're half tired, you're not really taking in the information anyway. So it's much better to get a good amount of rest. And it's the same with diet. Um, it's the same with exercising, getting some physical activity, socializing with friends. Um, but Maybe a way to then incorporate that is is to give it, you know, an, a reward process. So for every two hours that I study, then I'm going to gift myself half an hour of um, playing video games, talking with my friends online, uh, watching uh, an episode yeah. <laughs> of one of my favorite TV shows. Um, but yeah, making sure you have that rest time is really important. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I'm obviously I'm, I'm I'm sort of facing that personally at the moment with with my eldest, who's doing her A levels, as I mentioned. But uh, and she's very diligent, you know. Mm -hmm. And as you said, I mean, I walk into the room and it's like. You know, you talk about plans and everything's on whiteboards mm -hmm. and stickers here, there and everything. And <laughs> it looks like, like mission control in there or something <laughs> like that. Um, it looks like one of those, you know, when you see on the TV, the FBI have set up like a case oh, room yeah. or something like and that. And like all of these <laughs> pieces of shoelace or <laughs> strings linking everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, wow. OK, won't go any further. But yeah, um, she is diligent and she's she's one that um, that will... Will will revise for many hours. She's got it all planned out, etc. Mm. And I do sort of find myself saying, "Okay, um, maybe you should take a break, etc." Um, she's like, "No, no, no, no. Um, I've, I've got this. Is my time. This time set aside." Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's that encouragement. And again, it's very easy for parents to say, but I don't know how how easy it's for students students to accept that not going to the gym for an hour or not going for a long walk with maybe take the dogs with you or mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. and taking a little break away can be beneficial. Yeah. You know, she just sees it as, no, that's 60 minutes wasted. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly, I mean, part of it, I don't think students are going to be too receptive to, well, research says that you should take a break. Um, but often it'll be, you know, I tell my students, you treat it as a bit of an experiment if you think um, it's not going to be helpful Try walking away from a question. You know, you look at an exam question and you might sort of have your plan. You write out your plan as to how you would want to answer it. But then go away for 15 minutes mm. and then look at it again and just notice when your brain has a little bit more time to kind of process what it is that you're being asked, um, do you think that you would be answering the question in a different way? Um, as you've learned content, you know, give yourself a rest and then quiz yourself on it half an hour later, like how much did I actually um, remember. So it's, and you're right, it's very, very individualized with every student. So if she feels like um, that that's what works for her, 
um, then that is that is great. Uh, but because so, then it might be you know she works really hard and then she sleeps solidly um, for eleven hours, whereas you'll have other students who will nap um, during the day and that works for them. Mm. Um, or you know they they work really hard and then because they're going to take a whole day off over the weekend and that's how they recuperate. So it's as long as sort of factoring in your brain does need time to rest um, and that does improve your performance. So what is that rest going to look like for you? This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. It's the Agenda live over the e-break. Eid Mubarak to one and all. And we're talking exam stress here in the studio. We are, uh, well, it's the business end of the season, the uh, academic year, that is, as we get ready for end-of-term exams. Uh, And they'll come in all different uh, guises uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, But with all that studying, often comes a great deal of stress and anxiety for uh, children, for parents, for schools alike as well. So we're trying to get to the bottom of how you best prepare for that. Uh, Dr. Kieran Hillier is the Assistant Professor of Psychology at Heriot Watt University, Dubai campus. She's been kind enough to join us live here in studio during the e-break to take a few of your questions to give some advice as well. Uh, and Kieran, again, thank you so much indeed for your time this morning. A couple of questions coming through. Mm. Uh, this one, no name. Remember to put your name with this one. We'd love to get uh, Kieran's thoughts on cramming. Does it mm. work? Uh, <laughs> I mean, in terms of what I was saying before about your brain needing time to actually consolidate the information, broadly, no, it doesn't work. Um, but it does depend on the type of questions that students are being asked in exams. And I think that opens up a broader conversation around the purpose of exams and the types of questions that are being asked. So if a student is just being asked to like memorize dates of events and things, then cramming might actually work because then you can do it the night before. But the student, I guarantee you, they will forget that information a week after the exam. Um, I find that the much better questions are ones that actually don't rely on the student having to memorize a lot of stuff, but rather it's critical thinking. So you might give them like basic information about, you know, compare these two events um, from a uh, from a, a certain perspective, for example, um, that's going to be a much better indicator, I think, of a student's actual understanding of the content. So, yeah, I would say have a look at the types of questions um, that students are being asked. If it's purely rote memorising, cramming can work, but it will not you know, uh, transfer into long-term memory. Um, If it's more critical thinking questions, then you need that time to actually process the information and and understand how different concepts link to each other or contradict each other. Um, How do you integrate that information? And that takes longer. Let's sort of changing angle a little bit. I just want to spare a thought for the for the teachers and the faculties and the schools out there. I mean, yeah, a lot of students out there might be spitting blood at their teachers at the moment, saying, "I'm not this, I'm not whatever." <laughs> uh, but you know, fundamentally, that's what teachers want you to do. They want you to achieve. They want you to get the best grade you can at mm-hmm. your uh, for your chosen subjects. However, they've been dealt a pretty tough card this or tough hand this uh, this year haven't they not with the fact that we've had the spring break uh, mm-hmm. we've had the extended ramadan break we've now got an extended weekend over eid so mm-hmm. a lot of the students have done reduced hours uh, right. at school or mm-hmm. not been at school for long periods of time the onus therefore being on the students to take 
ownership of their revision ahead right. of exams mm. as opposed to supervised revision within the schools. It's quite tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we were talking offline about how um, different students might then try to manage their space in order to allow them to do that. Um, and so some students will want to be completely on their own, dead silence. Others want um, to be interacting with other students and talking about it. But you're right, it is putting um, more responsibility on the students to actually take that initiative. And depending on the schooling system that you're coming from, that could be quite a foreign um, concept for students. Uh, So Again, you know, and we've talked about teacher stress <laughs> um, here and, and that just adds more onto the teacher as to, okay, do I need to provide the students with more materials to help guide them through this process because I'm not going to be there to help them with that. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's adding the stress for everybody. But other students, if they feel like, you know, that they can do that, then having this additional free time or unstructured time, they could actually find quite useful. So... What's really hard for schools is that you're never going to have a system that works for every Mm. student. Um, And so then it's trying to, um, you know, make sure all of your uh, policies and your procedures are pedagogically based, Mm. um, but also embedding some flexibility to allow you to cater for maybe the the more individualised needs of some of your students. Um want to turn my attention now before we wrap things up to parents as well. A lot of questions coming through from parents as well. And I suppose one way to bring that all together. And we know that look, there are different styles of parenting uh, mm-hmm. out there. Much like there are different styles of revision and different styles of learning. Red flags, though, uh, Kirin. What are the red flags that parents should be looking out for in their students? Oh, red flags for the how their, well, their kids children, are behaving. I suppose, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so, just I suppose not. So, yeah, it's more just you know for those kids, for those children that that might be doing themselves more harm than good right. with their sort of attention to de- well, attention to revision. Right. I guess from a from a motivation and a mental health perspective, a real red flag to look out for is when. Um, children start catastrophizing, um, which is that sense of, like, if I, I'm going to fail, I'm not going to get into the university I want, I'm never going to get a job, I'm going to en- end up homeless. And so it's this really awful outcome for not passing an exam or not doing as well as they would want in an exam because that really does just add to the stress. It does not make you more motivated to study. If anything, it makes you less likely because you go, well, what's the point? Um, And it's way too, it's too stressful, it's too difficult. If I don't try, then I can always say, well, I I didn't actually try that Mm. much anyway, so it's not a true reflection of my capabilities. Um, I will tell you, all of you students, as as a university professor, if university is what you want to do, there is always other pathways um, to get into university and to do the degree that you want to do. So it's, and I think sometimes schools and parents can fall into the trap of, you need to do really well, this is so important um, for the rest of your life. (laughs) And I can tell you, it's not. (laughs) You want to do as well as you can, um, but also knowing that it is not going to be the end of the world if you don't do as well as you would like. There are always other avenues that you can be taking. And then it's thinking about, you know, is university what actually I want to do or is that something maybe my parents are pushing me to do or it's what's just expected of me culturally to do, Um, but it's not a good fit for the student because also I'll tell you as a university professor, those students who don't really want to be there, 
you know, they are going to struggle mm. at university. Um, so I'd say look out for catastrophizing. And so parents should be um, really reinforcing to their kids that I love you no matter how you do mm. um, because you don't want it to feel like, you know, love is conditional on your academic performance um, because then that puts even more pressure on students and is um, counterintuitive, is, is going to work against what your goals are as a parent, but sort of reassuring them that um, try your best, you know, let's put it put a plan together. If you have any difficulties, come and see me. If you want any extra supports like tutoring, we can work that out. Um, but I'm going to love you no matter what you do um, and how well you go in exams. So I'd say that would be the first one to look out for. Um, and then the other one, I guess, would be, it kind of touches upon this, but it's it's labeling. So when kids start to tell themselves like, oh, I'm stupid. Mm. So um, it's what's the point of even trying? So we use we talk about labeling in this concept of you're you're taking um, you're applying a global judgment on you as a person when it can be more specific to a certain situation. So I didn't study enough, or I didn't study what I should have for that particular course, but I can do better Mm. next time. You know, now that I know that from the mocks that I did, how can I take that? But I can do this. Um, I just need a slightly different plan or um, I focused on the wrong content, but now I know the exam question so I can refocus my attention to the more important content. Um, So you don't want students labeling themselves. Um, So again, it's, it's parents sort of reinforcing that you can do this. I have faith in you. I know you can do this. But think about how well you want to do. Um, If students aren't particularly academic, then that's totally fine. Not everybody is. And then it's, well, what what do you want to be achieving in these exams? Um, And do you think that the strategy that you're going about is going to allow you to do that? Because as long as you feel like I'm happy with the amount of work that I did and how I went, that's what we're aiming for. So it is getting kids to think about what do I actually want in in these exams? Um, and do I feel like I'm working towards that to the best of my ability? Great advice, as always. Kieran, can't thank you enough. Out of time on this occasion, but uh, some advice uh, for students, for schools, for parents out there. Thank you so much indeed for your time. Dr. Kieran Hillier is the Assistant Professor of Psychology at Harriet Watt University, Dubai campus. Uh, thanks. For first and foremost joining us. Thanks also uh, for coming in over the Eid break. And thanks also for coming in. It's a double whammy, Jen. She's coming on her birthday, no less. <laughs> what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, busted. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, can't but thank you. But now I get to share it with all of Dubai. So <laughs> that just makes it even more wonderful. If you see Dr. Hillier out there and about, say happy birthday. Okay, Karen, thank you so much indeed. Always lovely to see you. Thanks very much, Tom. Uh, big thanks to all of you for your questions as well. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yep, it is the agenda, a rather special agenda as well. Uh, why we are live, continuing to be live, uh, but it is the Eid weekend, the Eid celebrations underway. So Eid Mubarak to one and all. Big focus for us on a Friday morning into afternoon now as we return our attention to exams. Uh, And we are, of course, getting to that time of year when teenagers across the country have their heads, uh, we parents hope, uh, deep in a revision guide at the moment. But 
With all that studying, with all that revision, with all that cramming comes a great deal of stress and anxiety for children and for parents and for schools alike, uh, trying and not always to manage uh, the right support for uh, children uh, and students. Earlier, we heard from uh, the psychologist, Dr. Kieran Hillier, uh, who was talking about how we can help support our kids' mental health during what is and inevitably can be a tricky time. But what about the teachers out there? How can they help kids cope with exam time? And do we have the key to effective revision that comes with a side, without a side of anxiety? Joined now by the principal of Horizon International, someone who, uh, along with uh, all the team down there, are preparing for life at the sharp end of exam season. It's a warm welcome. And joining us live on the line to Darren Gale. Good morning. Oh, sorry, I should say good afternoon to you, Darren. Thanks for joining us. And Eid Mubarak. Eid uh, Mubarak. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon to you. Great to have you. And I really appreciate you giving up your time during the Eid break. And our time is precious uh, for, for all teachers at this time of year. Um, Let's kick things off then, Darren. In terms of just how common exam stress is amongst your community, amongst your senior pupils, amongst your pupils in general, uh, is it something that you just have to deal with? It it is a very stressful time. And these are one of the symptoms of having, you know, high stakes testing in in a largely competitive educational environment. And and we have to see it through the lens of a student and also the teachers that it's it's the first time for our young people where they are being externally judged, you know, and, and what they do is externally validated. And, and there's no hiding from that. And there's an increased sense of stress and anxiety and, and vulnerability at this time, you know. It, it is something that obviously has been connected with exams uh, since time immemorial. However, we've seen upheavals with the education systems in recent times because of COVID and a lot of uh, learning from home modules being put in place. Are you seeing, and, and, and as a result of your, your, your experience in education, is exam stress on the increase? I think with the... Yeah the evolving of society and social media and pressures and the competitive nature for school places and also the pressure for students to perform and meet parent expectations and school expectations, stress and anxiety is on the increase. I don't think it's necessarily related to COVID. I just think it's related to how society is developing and evolving and expecting more of our young people. But we certainly around this time see many more referrals around mental health, anxiety, stress, students' well-being um, as, as we then approach examination season. Gray's been in touch with us this morning, sending questions or comments, I should say, through uh, on the 4001 text message system. Gray says this, Worrying about exams is character building and helps to teach children how to cope with stressful situations in which they're expected to perform their best. This is good training for adult life. Is there anything in that, Darren? Yes, I, I believe passionately in that. You know, stress and anxiety isn't just related to examinations. As, as students grow into adults and in their future, us as adults, we have constant stress and anxiety in our personal and professional lives. And as well as teaching students and young people the importance of academics and passing exams, schools have the responsibility of teaching students how to manage expectations and stress and, and, and anxiety and teaching them the language of 
around vulnerability. And it's only when you feel vulnerable can you then teach resilience. And I, and I do think these are skills for life that schools have a responsibility and parents have a responsibility to teach and role model to young people. How do schools such as yours, Darren, and, and those within the group help uh, struggling students? And how, how do you recognise that they are struggling? Are there sort of, um, are there red flags that, uh, that, that, that are, are raised amongst many students? I think this is an important part of our work because it's not just related necessarily to to the examinations, but we do see a greater manifestation of stress and angst. But our teachers are trained to teach the whole child and and our teachers at Horizon International are constantly looking out for those signs and triggers. It might be physical changes, emotional changes, behavioural changes, cognitive changes. But when you're interacting with students up to three or four times, five times a week, uh, in, in some subjects, you do notice you are trained to be on the lookout for, for those, those changes and, and respond accordingly uh, with, with a variety of different strategies. We're speaking a little bit earlier on to uh, the psychologist, Dr. Kieran Hillier, and I was making the point that it's been a tough time for schools because while schools uh, such as yours and others here in the region um, do all they can to provide uh, structured revision periods for all those sitting exams at the moment, we've had a rather unique April, haven't we? What with the spring break, uh, Ramadan hours, and now, of course, an extended Eid weekend as well. A lot more onus on the students themselves to take uh, full responsibility of their revision? Yes, but I would say that, you know, high-quality schools would not have left it to the last minute. It's now just sort of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. The vast majority, and this is the great beauty of the two-year courses, is that the vast majority of the work would already be covered by now with mock examinations often taking place in November and January. And and it's now a case of, of exam technique uh, finalising revision timetables um, and supporting students through the, the sort of final aspects of exam and, and, and the ability to approach the exam confidently rather than content and skills being taught now. Darren, what's your advice to parents out there? I mean, obviously, there are different styles of parenting. There are different styles of, of teaching as well. But what's the sort of advice that you can proffer to parents in order to provide the best support network for children that might be suffering from exam stress? Yeah, I mean, this is a very difficult one for parents, isn't it? Because there's no handbook on this that you can refer to. And this is where schools and parents really do need to work in partnership. The key thing is a positive dialogue or a positive narrative or communication around examinations. It's parents looking out for signs and changes, whether they're emotional, physical, behavioural or cognitive, as I've already mentioned, and, and getting to the underlying root of why is, why is that? It's having an open dialogue, ask, you know, talking, asking them how they feel, giving them the language of vulnerability, you know, enabling them to express their emotions, share sort of concerns rather than being judgmental about, you know, you haven't done this, why aren't you doing this? show that you've noticed it's difficult for parents as well to proactively listen repeating back maybe if 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 your child is sitting down and and talking to you about how they're feeling they might be distressed acknowledging i hear what you're saying yeah i can see that you're tired i can you know that reinforcement is really important and find ways to empathize sometimes 
we sort of helicopter in as parents because we expect children to perform as we have done when we went through exams and stress and life. But we've got sort of 20, 30 more years of life experience. So it, it's around dialogue and a positive dialogue rather than judging uh, around exams and examination stress. And we also have to realise is that students will always have a different way of working mm. and, and really listening to them about what's best for them, what is working for them, what do they need uh, during this time. I think that's a really, really important point you make there, Darren, about the fact that there is not one size that fits all when it comes to, well, learning in general, but certainly uh, revision and preparations for exams. I suppose that's one of the struggles that that you have uh, at, at, at at the Horizon International, you and all the faculties down there. There will be those individuals that like to revise on their own in a very silent, closed off environment. There will be those that probably get more benefit from revising within in an interactive group yeah and 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 schools need that flexibility and that adaptability to meet the needs of different cohorts of children because no no child is the same there are patterns of behaviors that children will exhibit but you know a high quality school will be a listening school a responsive school a school that is able to give students what they need because that ultimately is the point of school, isn't it? And just in terms, uh, Darren, of the sort of preparations, I mean, I know that there are a number of students uh, out there preparing themselves for their uh, exams. Spare a thought for, for you and all the team down at Horizon International, for all those out there that are liaising with exam boards around the world, getting halls ready as well. It must be quite the logistical challenge. It is. It is. And, you know, certainly as our school is continuing to grow uh, and student numbers expanding, getting it right, it's in the organisation. It's, you know, that old classic quote of failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Let's not forget that teachers have 20, 30 years experience of of managing this. It's in the organisation and starting early, preparing early so that, you know, all of the demands that are needed to have a highly successful summer examination series are in place well before the examination starts. Uh, and, and I'm very grateful to the team at Horizon that, you know, we're well prepared and we're ready to go. Well, best of luck with the exam season just around the corner to you and all the team down uh, at Horizon International. If you've got one final piece of advice for students and parents out there as they enjoy their long Eid weekend but have one eye on exams coming up at the moment, what is that piece of advice, Darren? Uh, progress over perfection and and it's about you know the marathon it's it's not a a sprint it's a marathon finding the balance and you know the stress will pass well the best of luck to you darren uh, and a big thank you to uh, i know that 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 the the role of a principal means that it is 24 7 throughout the entirety of the year but i do hope you get an hour or two off during the uh, e-break so darren thank you for taking time out of the e-break to speak to us today all the best to you and of course your team at horizon for exam season and thank you for your time you're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me along. Eid Mubarak to everyone. A big thanks to Darren Gale, who is the principal of Horizon International. Joining us live on the line there. Uh, they are preparing for life at the sharp end of the exam season. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Another of our big talkers today uh, was the link between education and COP28. Jen's 
spoke to us a little bit earlier on about the fact that uh, 12 universities, dozen universities here, making a pledge to be COP28 ready uh, for their students and taking advantage of the opportunity of COP28 being hosted here in the UAE for the very first time. Um, Let's get back to COP28 and the potential educational impact of the conference's arrival at Expo City in November. And representatives, as we said, from uh, 12 UAE universities launching this University Climate Network, uh, which has been designed and aimed at encouraging young people's participation in COP28 at the end of this year. Jen's got more details for us. So the network will be chaired by New York University Abu Dhabi and it includes Khalifa University, Mazdar Institute of Science and Technology and the American University of Sharjah, among others. It's been created to promote inclusion at COP28, which of course kicks off at Expo City in November. The organisers of the conference are keen to ensure that the next generation of climate activists is given a voice in proceedings and from primary school right through to university. But meanwhile, though, with preparations for COP28 in Dubai moving on apace, accelerating at the moment, this isn't the only educational initiative aimed at encouraging Dubai's youth. There are others, aren't there? There are. And just last month, the first Road to COP event aimed at school kids across the Emirates was launched, leading to some fairly impressive debate that could put the adults among us to shame, frankly. High school students from across the UAE have been invited to step into the shoes of the world's senior climate negotiators as part of the scheme aimed at helping them feel involved in the conference. The Climate Ambassadors Programme, or CAP, has been designed not only to facilitate those student debates, but also to help young people, who, to be frank, are those most likely to be impacted by the success or failure of this year's talks, to come up with their own suggested climate solutions. These three teenagers took part in the first edition of the event and to be quite honest I think we might do well to enlist them in the actual talks later this year. This has been a very, very fun experience, very educational. I've been in many debating competitions that were environmental, but after today, my perspective has been widened a lot on climate change and the other major challenges that act as a major threat to uh, all the countries uh, globally and uh, that we should further uh, implement solutions and look for possibilities in order to face those challenges and minimize them as much as possible. This, this discussion was very productive today. I've received many insights and I hope to soon have another one. This COP or CAP can benefit me by helping me enhance my speaking skills, my researching skills and overall my brainstorming skills. And I think this is a great opportunity for anyone who wants to improve upon that or anyone who just wants to have fun, debate a little and brainstorm. This event was really, really inspiring. I got to know about climate change. I got to know about food insecurity. And it had made me feel the pain of other countries as well as what problems they have had. As well as I've got to know that just a small step that we could take all together as a society could change our world to a better one and have accessibility to food, to climate change and as well as a better economically developed world. Now that initiative is set to continue in the months leading up to the actual COP conference as part of a collaboration between Expo City and the Ministry of Climate Change and the Environment. Of course, uh, as you well say, Young people are part of the generation who are going to be experiencing the sharp end of the climate crisis. Just wondering, though, whether this programme helps demonstrate how we can 
uh, better ensure that they are knowledgeable about the climate crisis without being left anxious? It's certainly a big part of the aim. It's to use the programme to empower the UAE's young people rather than scare them. Of course, part of that comes with providing them with information, but a major part of the process lies in facilitating debate, which allows the young people involved to feel they can do more than talk, that they can take action and even come up with their own suggested solutions to tackling the climate crisis. These teachers were involved in the first edition of the CAP Debates programme last month and say it struck the right balance for their students. So I think uh, it was a fantastic opportunity for our students to be able to voice their concerns, to be able to get involved and see what ambassadors around the world get together and discuss and what they talk about. Uh, It was obviously a very, very good opportunity as well for our students to uh, learn what is happening around the world, what the challenges are that are happening based on climate change, uh, what countries are doing to try and prevent climate change and what solutions they're coming up with as well. And, you know, uh, going forward, we need to educate our youth so that we can together combat these issues. Well, it was a great opportunity for youth to discuss climate change, sit down together and brainstorm ideas, action plans, how they can help the climate and help uh, the planet Earth. So for youth to do something like that, it was very beneficial. And how they interact, how they think about solutions, and this is the future of everything that's going the youth to implement on planet Earth. I think the CAP program was a wonderful opportunity for our students to engage with the climate debate and really get into the details of what this debate entails. Uh, We've talked about climate before in our school, but not with this level of detail, and I really appreciated what this program did, especially with its facilitators, who really got into, who guided our students through the the policy, the problems, the uh, issues that we might sometimes not go into too much detail about, or we might not have the opportunity to go into too much detail about in our regular school program. So this was a wonderful supplement to what we already do in school, and uh, I know that our students loved it. Now, those students uh, aren't the only ones who've been busy preparing for COP28 throughout this week. No, they're not, because just yesterday, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, President of the UAE, set out his hopes for COP28, urging participant nations to shift their focus from setting goals to achieving them. His Highness was speaking to world leaders at a virtual climate event hosted by US President Joe Biden. He told them the UAE was the first Gulf country to ratify the Paris Agreement and the first in the region to commit to reducing emissions in all economic sectors by the year 2030. It's also announced its strategic initiative to achieve climate neutrality by 2050. He said the country had invested over $150 billion in climate action and had ambitious plans for further investments in the field in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, just um, get ready for a ramp-up for all things COP28. Uh, We are going to get more and more focus on this one in the lead-up to COP, which is going to be held in the first two weeks of December of this year. So a little later start than usual, uh, but a a move uh, by the organisers here in the UAE to take into account... uh, a number of other events that are taking place here in the region. It's going to be a big one, that's for sure. Big old focus right here on Dubai I-103.8 as we build up to COP28.